0: Here I am, an Anglican amongst the Presbyterians. (laughs) And a good thing too, because there are many, many wonderful things that we share in common. In fact, what we have in common is pretty well everything that is worthwhile. What we have in difference, by and large, doesn't matter that much. But one of the things we have as a difference uh, is a mixed blessing, but one aspect of it is really good our way, not your way that is the prayer book. How can the prayer book be good? Well, there's one aspect of it. You see, the prayer book was written in the 16th century in the time of the Reformation. That makes it good to start with because the guys who wrote it were converted and so they write really Christian things, which is fantastic. And you mightn't guess that from your local Anglican church, but if they stuck with their prayer book, they'd stick with what actually the Bible says because... They knew their Bibles, and one of the things they did was they constructed a daily service, because most people couldn 't read in the sixteenth century, so what you did you went to the local church and things were read for you every day that 's how we evangelized the Maoris by the way, in the northern Ireland of New Zealand was again by the principle of every morning, every evening, they gathered in the village church for an hour, and they were taught the Bible every day of the week well that 's what the, the prayer book says to do and Every day when you read, you read a chapter of the Old Testament and a chapter of the New Testament. And so day by day you worked your way through the Bible which meant through the course of a 12 month period you would read the Old Testament once and the New Testament twice. And between the readings of the Testaments you would read the Psalms and you would read all the Psalms every month. So you read the whole Old Testament once, the New Testament twice and the Psalms 12 times. There's a lot of Bible reading in the prayer book. But before you read anything every morning, the first thing you read was Psalm 95. And so you read Psalm 95 every day of your life. That's an extraordinary... Now, why would you bother with this psalm? You know, if I said to you, what was the psalm that you would read every day of your life if you had a choice to read it? I think you'd go for... 23, wouldn't you? 22, yes, 23, 25. I can think of it. 95? Why would you go for 95 every day of your life? And I want to say they're actually right. This is the one that you should do every day of your life. It's actually right. But weird, isn't it? What's the psalm about? Let's have a look to it. You see, it starts off with a call to Joy. Come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. And the joy, the call to joy is because these are the people of three things. They are people of joyful song and thanksgiving. They are the people of God and they're the people of humility, each of which you see there. Let's make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let's come in his presence with thanksgiving. Let's make a joyful noise to him with song of praise. Christianity is a religion of joy, as Israel, Israel was too, and it's a religion of thanksgiving. Now, at this point, it is radically and dramatically different to the Australian culture. Australians are profound whingers, complainers, grizzlers. We've always got something wrong with everything, whereas the scriptures are about thanksgiving. And at this point, again, we're so different to the Americans because the American nation was founded on religious persecution was founded by bible believing christians and so at the end of the first year or so of there they had a thanksgiving and they've had their thanksgiving day ever since whereas because we were founded by convicts <laughs> we don't thank god for anything we you know we just grizzle about the government and complain and look <laughs> forward to the opportunities of changing them as often as we can because we don't like anything that is happening anywhere in the country but Christians are the people of thanksgiving Christians are the people of rejoicing the scripture says rejoice in the Lord again I say to you rejoice always we have things to joy for and so the psalm starts off with this call to joy because we are the people of joyful song and thanksgiving not every religion sings you know we we just start our meeting with singing that's a normal thing to do isn't it but not all religions sing. It's very Christian to sing. And it's Christian to make song, to make music. We, we don't get entertained, we make it. It's not that there is some superheroes out the front who are going to sing songs for us. There's nothing wrong with someone singing a song for us. But we are the people who make music. Hardly anybody in our community sings these days. Drunks in the pubs. And at football games, they can warble out, waltzing Matilda. And that's about it. You see, people don't make music anymore. But every church, every around the world, we make music. We make joy. we have the people of joyful song. We're also, of course, the people of God. For he, the Lord is a great God, a great king above all gods. But he is our God, verse 7. And we are the people of his pasture. We're the people of God. And that is why we sing with such joy to him. But being the people of God, we're the people of humility. Because if God is God, then I am not God. And so what we do in verse 6 is, Come, let us worship, bow down and kneel before our maker that is the one that we that is how we approach God on our knees in humility so the call to joy is given three reasons they're all about God really firstly he is the rock of our salvation these are terrific hills right behind us here aren't they these are great rocks aren't they and what strikes you about them is the sheer immovability of them the sheer strength of them It's funny to think about them as strong, but when you look at them, you feel they're strong. There is a stability, there is a strength, there is a faithfulness, there is a reliability. That is God. God is called a rock in the scriptures. He's not flimsy. He's not fickle. He's not fancy free. He's totally dependable, reliable, trustworthy. He is the rock of our salvation. He's the, the, the one that you can trust to save you. He's the rock. And secondly, because he's the great God and the great king. The Lord is a great God. God's a funny word. We've got a capital G in it, you'll notice there. There really ultimately is only one God, but the word God means ruler. Um, Divine ruler, supernatural ruler means a ruler. There are many gods in the scriptures. Most of them are false gods. (laughs) They, They really aren't God, because ultimately there's only one true God. And he is the one who is our God. He is our maker. Because notice his hands. His hands make everything. His hands are in the the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are his. There used to be a song we sang many years ago. He's got the whole world in his hands. Hands up those who can remember this song. Oh dear, dear me. Older group than I think. Or songs leave Queensland slower than elsewhere. Uh, do you know Michael rowed the Boat Ashore? Oh, dear, this is a depressing crowd. I <laughs> thought we'd lost those songs forever. But, but the, I'm never sure about the Michael Rowing the shore Boat Ashore. That one's a really strange one. But I suppose you know Kumbaya too, but we're not going to sing that. <laughs> <laughs> but he's got the whole hand in his, world in his hands. He's actually saying a wonderful thing about our God. That is, the God who is our God, the great God, the great King... Is the one who has made everything and holds everything in his palm of his hands. And then he is our God. He's not just the remote creator of everything. He is our God. And we are his people. Well, that's the reason for joy. There's the reasons why we should be rejoicing. You can see why. A church would start every day with that hymn. A call to come and sing and rejoice in the God who is a great God. But that is not why the psalm was put in. It's interesting because in the modern trend, modern versions of the prayer book, written in the 20th century by Anglicans who have lost the faith and don't know the Bible, they stop at verse 7. That's where they stop. But of course in the Reformers' prayer book, the one written by the Bible believers, they went all the way down to verse 11. So every day you start off with, Therefore I swore in my wrath they shall not enter my rest. You can see why 20th century and 21st century, but 20th century people didn't want to hear about that every day of the year. So the idea of, come on, let us worship together in song and joy and happiness, that's very 20th century. But the 16th century, no, the reason why it was done every day was because of the last line of verse 7. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah is the day of Massa in the wilderness. Because the psalm's really about the failure of humility. The people of God should have relied and trusted upon God as the rock of their salvation for everything. They should have fallen down and worshipped him. But when they heard his voice, they hardened their hearts and decided to do their own thing their own way. I'm not going to have God tell me what to do. I'm going to determine what to do. And so... In the day of the Exodus, when God spoke to them out of the mountain with all the volume of the voice of God that terrified them, for the mountain shook and the rest. this people of God who actually heard the voice of God, they hardened their hearts. They trembled for a little while, but they hardened their hearts. As we read, Numbers 25 They hardened their hearts at Baalapha. God said, do not go after the other gods. Do not go into the sacred prostitution of false religions. Sex, religion, off they went. Hardening their hearts to what God said. And therefore, God was angry with that generation. For although they heard the voice of God, they hardened their hearts and look at God's reaction. For 40 years, when your father's put me to the test, they've seen my work. For 40 years, I loathed that generation and said, they are a people who go astray in their heart, for they have not known my ways. And so I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. You see, we moderns, we, we, we love the idea that God is love. That's a lovely thing. It's true. God is love. It's absolutely true. But how many people think of God as loathing other people? For well, that's what it says. He loathed that generation because of their hard-heartedness. They had seen his works. You think about them. That was the group who were slaves in Egypt. They saw the ten plagues. They were rescued on the last day, the last of the plagues by the Passover lamb. The Egyptians gave them their jewellery and their, their treasures just to leave. They left. The Egyptians chased after them and they came to the Red Sea. God parted the Red Sea. They crossed over the Red Sea. The Egyptians were then drowned in the Red Sea. They went to Mount Sinai. They didn't have food to eat. They didn't have drink to have. God gave them drink. by by the waters god gave them food by the quail coming down and the manna in the desert god gave these people everything they needed to survive and he took them to his promised land a land flowing with milk and honey a land of prosperity and he said this is your land the houses that have been built they're your houses the vineyards that have been planted they're your vineyards it's all for you just go in and take it i'm giving it to you and the people looked and said, Oh gee, I don't know if God could do this for us. I mean, there are very big men there and there. I'm, I'm a bit scared. I'm not sure I'm supposed to do this. And so they turned back. You see, over and over again, at Maraba, at Massa, they rebelled against the people of God. They put God to the test. They wouldn't trust the rock of their salvation. And so God destroyed that generation of adults. For 40 years they wandered on a trip that actually takes two weeks to walk. It took them 40 years to get two weeks because they wouldn't listen to God. an appalling state to be in. To have the voice of God speak to you and you won't listen. Stubbornness of heart is a profound, deep sinfulness. It really is, my friends. A strong-willed child is a good child to have. A painful experience it is to have a strong-willed child, but a good thing to have, because they're not going to become drug addicts and pushed around in peer group pressure and other things like that. They're not going to be led astray because they've got intestinal fortitude, they've got backbone, they've got courage they'll stand up for things a stubborn child is a really good child but there is a bad aspect of stubbornness isn't there that you are so stubborn you won't listen to the obvious truth that you know is true and even though you know it's true what do you do? you say I'm not going to listen in fact if it was a lie you'd be able to say yeah it's wrong but because it's true, you say, I'm not going to listen. And so you cut off your nose to spite your face. A stubborn child, hardened in heart, is the one that God loathed. So they, go, they don't want my promised land. They're not going to have it. They all perished in the wilderness. Isn't that awful? that a dreadful psalm. But you see, just before you're going to read your chapter of the Old Testament and your chapter of the New Testament and your 130th of the Psalms, that's the Psalm to read. Today, when you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Tomorrow, when it's today, and you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Every day is the day you hear his voice, and every day is the day you mustn't harden your heart. Well, you might say, Philip, that's, that's interesting, but of course the, the day he was writing about was a different day, isn't it? That was a long, long time ago. Come with me to Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3. In the cathedral, we've put a standard set of Bibles for people, because we have so many visitors wandering in. So I'm used to giving people page numbers. I've been doing it now for about ten years, just giving out page numbers. But the wretched evening congregation is made up of people, many of whom are under thirty, and you don't get out your Bible, you get out your telephone. You know, and <laughs> there's no page numbers, and just scroll to. Uh, <laughs> Whatever it is that you say. Um, Anyway, Hebrews 3. And I'm reading quite a bit of it, but you've read Psalm 95 and it's all about Psalm 95. Are you ready? I'm picking it up from verse 7 of Hebrews 3. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today if you hear His voice. Oh, there's our Psalm, you see, it's already there. Today if you hear His voice. And do not harden your heart, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of the testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test, saw my works for 40 years. There I was provoked with that generation and said they always go astray in their hearts. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end, as it said, today. If you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt, led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Therefore, while the promise of of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard didn't benefit them, because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we have believed, enter that rest, as he said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has some ways spoken of the seventh day in this way. And God rested at the seventh day from all his works. And again in the passage he said, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore, it remains for some to enter it. And those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience. Again he appoints a certain day. Today. Saying through David so long afterwards in the words already quoted, Today. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Well, a little long reading and slightly torturous argument if you're not used to this particular part of the Bible, but it's all about Psalm 95. And it's all about why you should read it every day. So, let me give it to you here as to what's happening. God created the world in six days and rested the seventh day. Now, what happened on the eighth day? Nothing. Because the eighth day's never come. The seventh day continues to this day. We are in the seventh day. God is resting from his work of creation. He's not creating anything new. He's resting from the activity of creation. He's sustaining it. He's maintaining it. He's upholding it. But he's not creating any more of it. He rested from his labor and rests from his labor. When the people of Israel were going across the the desert, you see, God promised to give them the land of rest. That land of rest, Palestine, Canaan, that land of rest was like entering into God's eternal rest physically but those people they couldn't enter his rest after Moses when that whole generation died Joshua led the people into the land of rest and after Joshua the judges came and after judges came the kings and the second king was the great king King David he was the prophet he was the poet he wrote the psalms and David living in the land of rest told the people of his generation today if you hear God's voice do not harden your hearts as the mob did back in Moses' time don't harden because otherwise you won't enter into God's rest which rest is he talking about? he can't be talking about Palestine because that's exactly where they were no he's talking about the eternal rest that you have in Christ Jesus. That is there every day. That rest that we enter into relationship with God, of which entering into the promised land, is a kind of model, is an example, is a foretaste of the heavenly land that we enter into. And so he's saying, we are on the journey now, friends. Oh, We're not walking across a desert. And we, we're not going to get through the Red Sea and all that, but we're on the journey. The journey, it starts with our birth and continues through our life until we come to our death. We're on the journey. The rest of God is available for us now, today. But we must make sure that we enter into that rest. We enter into that relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Now is the time to do it. Not then, but today is the time to do it. And it's really important that we as a community, as a congregation, are concerned for each other. Because God deals not just with individuals, God deals with communities as well. As he did with the people of Israel. 24,000 died in a single day because of the sinfulness of that man and his Midianite. Uh, mistress uh, and God stops the plague that we read about in Numbers 25 you see, God deals with people and therefore look what it says in verse chapter 3 verse 12 take care brothers lest there be in any of you an evil unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God but exhort one another every day As long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. I've got to take responsibility for you. You've got to take responsibility for me. We've all got to take responsibility for each other. Today, listen to what God says. And when we get up tomorrow and we read the Bible, we say, today, listen to what God says. Because the journey is a day-by-day experience. Uh, we drove up here. It was kind of nice standing out there earlier, seeing all the cars coming up at the road, of the lights going through there. It reminded me of that, that movie, Field of Dreams. You know, if you if you build it, they will come. If you don't know that movie, you've missed nothing. And so, <laughs> I shouldn't say that. This might be recorded, and if it is recorded, I've got a problem because it's one of my daughter's favourite hit movies. But never mind. Uh, don't play this record anywhere, please, in Sydney. Um, It's but we just walk it. But journeys are actually not taken that way. Journeys are taken a step at a time. Life is lived one step after another. And sometimes, when you're very young, you don't believe there is a journey. You don't believe there is an end. You don't believe. I mean, anybody over twenty is archaic. Anybody over thirty, are they still alive? (laughs) Anybody over, you know, I mean, this is just, but. One day, somewhere along the line in middle age, which is defined as being five years older than me, one day you suddenly wake up and say, it's almost all over. Where did those years go? How did that happen? I can't be that old, but I am. And it happened a day at a time. the only way you can live is a day at a time. Now you've got lots of young mums and dads here. There is no night in this world longer than the night where your baby won't go to sleep. You think dawn will never come. There's almost no year that goes as quickly as the years of your children's life. The nights are really long. The years are really quick. Suddenly, they're at school. Suddenly they're at high school. Suddenly they're leaving school. Suddenly they're leaving. <laughs> I was only just getting the hang of it. You know? After all these years, I finally learned to fold a nappy. And they've done away with those kinds of nappies. You can't buy them anywhere anymore. One of the, the great arts of life and skills I developed, useless. Thanks to pull ups they are incredible things. And life goes so quickly. And days can be so long. And nights can be longer. But it's the days the way we live. Every day, whatever the day is, is the day to listen to God's word with a soft heart. Because sin happens at a day at a time too. And the hardening of the heart happens at a day at a time. It's rarely do you have the big, bold, I think I'm going to murder someone tonight. It's much more, I, I, I'm going to tell that lie. I actually am greedy about that. I really want what, I, I hate that person. It it's grows and grows inside us. So... I'm at point four. A, the promise of entering God's rest stands. B, take care to encourage one another. That should be, it's my typo, one another. C, every day. Because what we have here in verse 11 to 13 of chapter four is a living and active word of God. This is not a dead book. This is a living book. You and I write something. It's dated immediately. God writes something, it's never dated. We're alive and well. So we're coming up here. I, no, as we're driving through Sydney to say on the way to the airport, went through an old part of Sydney and they saw up in the uh, top of the buildings that they were built in AD 1902 and AD 1895. Now, was fascinating. Not only that in those days they put the date the building was up, which is interesting actually, Uh, mind you the kinds of dates you'd put on these buildings you'd be embarrassed about fancy that was built in my lifetime those wretched things but those were interesting buildings and not only did you have the date up there but you had ad big letters ad it's very important ad you see the world is divided before christ and anno domini why do we go to latin and why do we say ad See, as a kid i always wanted before christ and ac after Christ. That's the problem, isn't it? There is no after Christ. Christ is alive and rules the world. Now, we are in the year of the Lord. That's what anodynamic means. We're in the year of the Lord, 2013. The 2013, the 1902, that's unimportant. The AD is really important. Christians don't understand this, which is very sad because non Christians do more and more in universities and atheistic writings they're getting rid of BCAD and they're insisting on having BCE and CE which stands before the Christian era, no before the common era and the common era which just shows how stupid some people can be because there never has been a common era The Muslims date from 600 600 AD. The Jews date from 5000 BC. The Hindus don't date because they don't believe in any history. Uh, Different people date from different periods of time. There never has been a common era. So when is the before common era that we before? And when is the common era? Surprise, surprise. From the time of Jesus' birth. That's when the common era is. My friends, never write BCE. Never write CE. Failure exam, but failure essay at university or leave, but never write it. Always write A D twenty thirteen. You know? Because that's what matters is we are in the year of the Lord. Because God is alive. The Lord Jesus rules today. And when He speaks, His word is not locked into our history. It is in history, that's how we can understand it. But his word is a living word, an active word, a dynamic word which speaks not just to Moses, not just to David but to every generation. So when do you hear the word of God? Today. That's the day. Today is the day to hear God's word not with a hardened but with a softened heart is how we are to listen. And when we do then there's great joyful thanksgiving and when we do we have true humility the true humility of hearing you see people think it's humble in verse 12 no, no back in psalm 95 i've got to go back to it. people think it's humble in that verse as it says that we fall down and worship him but any idiot can fall down and worship. That's not true humility. True humility is listening to what he says and doing it. That's true humility. And so you see all kinds of people going through the religious ritual today. I mean, often in our Anglican churches, they go through the religious ritual. They'll bow, they'll scrape, they'll cross themselves, they'll. they'll uh, but they're not listening to what God says so we have a psalm which they've chopped off the second half of which is the very reason for the psalm according to the new testament they've chopped that off and they say come to church and let's all bow down and worship an, a statue of jesus which of course is the exact reverse of what god says make no statue you know how jesus looks long hair beard etc you don't know how jesus looks there was no photograph no picture and absolutely no description of him he could have been short and fat he could have been really a beanpole he could have had red hair he could have had blue eyes he could have had my guess is he looked jewish if that's a look to look we don't know what he looked like and yet you have in your mind that image of jesus haven't you that you see in every second picture of him made up and so people will fall down and worship listen to what God says and do it that is true humility but stubborn rebellion which won't listen because you're so pig headed that you want to do what you want to do my friends that is to take a fight with God and when you take a fight with God guess who loses let's pray heavenly father we thank and praise you for your word we thank you that we've gathered together here and that we can hear it we thank you for those who paid the, the price of, of their life in order to translate it for us so that we can read it in our own language and study it we thank you for the privilege of being able to gather with each other And we pray father that you would help us to care for each other as we listen to your word to challenge each other and encourage each other as we take a step-by-step journey through this life, that this day, as in every day, we might hear your word, not with hardened hearts, but with softened hearts, softened by your spirit, that we might long to know what you would have us do, where you would like us to put the next foot, that we might step your way and walk your way all our days. That we might enter into that rest, which is your rest, the eternal rest won for us by the Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray for this, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.